Planeswalkers. I'm James. And I'm Paul. And you're listening to the newest episode of the Commander at Arms podcast. This week on the podcast, we're going to be talking about Dungeons and Dragons, Adventures in the Forgotten Realms teaser statements from Mark Rosewater, who is the head designer for Magic the Gathering. But before we get into that topic, we have our upkeep trigger to do. Uh, we want to thank all of our patrons, uh, everybody who supports us on Patreon. We we love the amount of patrons that we have. We'd like to maybe get a little bit more, but you know we're not going to really push on it. Uh, you guys really help to uh, to keep the lights on around here and keep this going forward and making helping us make the content that we want to make that you guys love to hear. Um, if you want to become a patron and help us out, you can do that at Patreon.com/slash Commander at Arms. Uh, Paul, have you had anything interesting come in the mail or any interesting finds that you found hanging around your local? LGS or maybe just in a box that was in your closet um as far as mail day goes I got my set booster box which I may or may not have talked about last time I don't remember but uh if you haven't seen that uh, we actually I actually recorded that and it is on our YouTube channel um but uh, other than that I also received some mail that was not actually for myself um it was actually as part of the giveaway I finally got all the stuff together and that should be ready to go out very shortly. Uh, but yeah, that's about it. Uh, other than that set booster box, uh, nothing particularly interesting. I mean, that set booster box was was a pretty good opening. No, I'm not going to lie. Yeah, I, it was pretty good. <laughs> I really enjoyed watching that one. I, I watched it myself uh, uh, while I was editing it. And uh, yeah, it was, it was really cool, man. I think I talked about this last week, but I got tainted packed in the mail. I believe that was last week that that came in. Uh, I don't think I've gotten anything in the mail lately. Haven't really gotten any interesting finds in my boxes of piles of cards that I've gotten either. And I haven't really been on LGS recently either <laughs> because I've just been busy doing other things currently. So this is the first time since uh, introducing this little segment that I don't have anything to talk about. So which is cool because you mentioned the YouTube channel and I did just upload a brand new deck tech to that one on Lunas Cryptozoologist. So go and check that out. And while you're there, check out Paul's set booster box opening. You can do that at YouTube, uh, Commander at Arms. Uh, don't forget to, you know, subscribe, like the videos, comment, helps with the algorithm, help us get our name Ring out there. The Show your friends. Ring the bell for the extra, you know, for the, the, the notification when we release content on there as well. Uh, these episodes go live on the YouTube channel as well. So if you're already here and on YouTube, welcome. If you're not here on YouTube yet, go and check it out. And uh, with that, we have play of the week to deal with, Paul. Have you played any magic? All right. So I have been absolutely exhausted. I, I couldn't I couldn't play any magic over the weekend, and I actually had a couple opportunities to do so, but uh, I was quite busy uh, on Friday and Saturday, not to mention that for me to get to the group that I play magic with typically on the weekends... Uh, it's about a 50-ish minute drive, and uh, it has been storming for the past week and a half straight in Florida. So not a drive I'm particularly keen on doing uh, while it is pouring rain and thundering and lightning. Uh, so I haven't, I still have not played any Magic recently, um, although this time it is not because I'm taking a break. It's just because I, the, the conditions were unfortunate. I mean, that's totally fair. It has been, it rained today. Like I, I, we were doing our pre-production, uh, script writing talks and everything before the episode. And I walked out to grab a beverage, uh, grab a bottle of water and it was bucketing down with rain. And then I turned around and it was gone. I'm like, that's Florida for you. <laughs> yeah. 
actually, you, uh, I don't, I don't know if it's actually picking up on my mic, but it is literally thundering right now as we record. Oofed. I love that ambiance and that feel of rushness, I guess, because we got to get through this quick. Um, <laughs> so I had a play of the week. I actually got to play Magic in person on Friday, Saturday night. Saturday night. It wasn't Friday. Um, I got to teach uh, two, I guess it's it's my partner's cousins. Uh, so I got to teach them how to play magic. So we all got to sit around the table. Uh, I showed them how to play jumpstart first. So I got them, they had never had an, they never knew anything about magic until that night. Um, there was a little bit of talks going on between, you know, um, you know, family members and everything on like what magic is and yada, yada, yada. And I was like, all right, the easy way to do this is to just tell them the difference between like a spell and a land card. And that was pretty much what I did. I was like, that's it. And then I handed them two jumpstart packs Crack the packs, open them up, look at what they got, shuffle them up, play a game. And we got through that in about a good, it was like an hour and a half, maybe two hours on just just that game. Because it was very much a lot of back and forth and no one really getting like early board state advantages or drawing, uh, you know, cards or anything. And this is like, they're lower power decks than standard. So it's even lower decks than our commander decks. And then we put those aside after the, you know, one person won. We went on to commander and I brought three of my Naya decks and one Tima deck. Now, if you are a fan of this show and a fan of what we do, you may know which decks they are, but if not, it was Obun, Maldaya Ancestor. It was Girid, Exile, Conclave, um, and Gishath, Sun's Avatar. And the Tima deck was taking Kalamax to the max. So I got to play Kalamax and do all the disgusting blue things that we told uh, the boys, you know, blue likes to do, like draw a lot of cards and counter spells. Because um, as my partner went to cast a dark steel plate, I said no. And she wasn't very happy about that because she wanted to make Gishath indestructible and keep, you know, just lining her board with more and more dinosaurs. Uh, the Obun player, <clears throat> which was uh, the younger of, of the two boys, he resolved an hour of revelation, wiped the board, and then played a scoot swarm into a land. And I went, that was the greatest sequencing I've ever seen for someone who's just playing magic for the first time. <laughs> I was quite shocked. I was like, man, this kid's picking up so fast. And then the next turn comes around and he drops a land <clears throat> and then drops a bounce land. And like all of a sudden he's got like all these scoot swarm tokens. And he ended up winning the game off those scoot swarm tokens because of that tempo shift with the uh the hour of revelation. I was shocked, man. I was I was so impressed and so proud. So I had a lot of fun. It was really, really, really yeah. good. I want to play Magic with them again. I want to see if they, you, uh, it holds their interest. You probably felt a lot like I did when I realized that you were a filthy combo player. Whoa. Like, I did this. I, I, <laughs> I created this. <laughs> yeah, but I created a good thing. You know, you created a bad thing. <laughs> you created me. Which then went and created a Luna, uh, Lunas, uh, or Lonus, Lunas, whatever, however you want to pronounce him, Cryptozoologist deck, which is just your deck tribal. Anyway, uh, we're about 10 minutes into the podcast and we haven't even started talking about actual what we're going to be talking about this episode. Paul, do you want to jump into it right now? Move to our Let's go. main phase one. So as we said at the start of the episode, we're talking about Dungeons and Dragons. And this is probably my favorite set for standard they've done in a while now. And I think it's just because, you know, I'm a huge D&D fan. I'm a huge Magic fan. And seeing those kind of cross more than what they have before, because we got teasers of like, uh, it was Bag of Holding in M20 or M21, I think it was. 
that was a really cool card. Um, the crystal shard, I guess, the artifact could also be a, a, a hint and a nod to something in D&D as well. Um, but we have a decent amount of statements here to get through. There are two that we're going to talk about at the start. And uh, Paul, if you want to just go through those ones really quickly for us, because we've already seen these cards uh, actually spoiled as of time of recording. Yeah, so uh, we're recording this on Tuesday, June 29th at about one o'clock in the afternoon. Uh, so for anything that is spoiled directly after we record, we didn't know. We apologize if it gets revealed before Thursday or whenever you listen to this. I, I will uh, say that uh, as we were talking about this episode, we got one of these statements, actually two of these statements spoiled. So we'll talk about those ones a little later. Yeah. So uh, previously... Uh, we had a card spoil called Minion of the Mighty. The, the the statement I'm talking about is an ability that cares about attacking with a certain amount of power of creatures. And uh, that has actually been confirmed to be the mechanic Pack Tactics. And uh, the card I just mentioned, Minion of the Mighty, is where you can find that text printed if you want to check that out. Uh, just in case we end up doing a spoiler episode, we're not going to be talking about these cards in detail. Uh, you've probably seen them already anyway, but just in case you want to go and check them out yourself, we will just mention the name of them. Uh, next is cards that let you decide where the story goes, and we're pretty sure this is talking about the dungeon diving mechanic, uh, which you have also probably seen already. Basically, there's three different dungeons that you can pick from, and you get to delve into each one, and anytime something tells you to... Uh, I, I forgot what the text they use is, but whenever something tells you to go deeper into the dungeon or like to dive into the dungeon... You start a dungeon, or you go further in the one that you're already in. Yeah, I believe it's called Enter the Dungeon. There you go. That's the one. Ven- venture into the dungeon. There you yeah, go. Yeah, that's, that's what it. it says. Yeah. Cool. Um, but uh, those are the only two that have been fully confirmed. There are two more, like James just said, but uh, we took the time to map, not map them out, but we took the time to like come up with our own theories already. So we have those written out, and we're just going to talk about those as well. Yeah, so the first one we're going to get in here is a... Enchant a brand new enchantment subtype. And we were thinking about boons in in DD. Uh basically it's a way to kind of uh get past the you know the level 20 restriction that kind of makes your character become from a human to a demigod essentially. So we thought maybe we might see some sort of new equipment or a boon maybe that kind of helps buff your character or buff a legendary creature only or a non-legendary creature only or something to do with a boon. <laughs> yeah, I, I I actually came up with this one uh, myself and James informed me that it's not actually like an official D&D thing. It's a, kind of a, a homebrew thing. But my, my thought process was that well, we have curses and magic already, but we don't have ones that are like good to enchant players with, really. Uh, well, I guess technically they're auras, but like this would be a good spot to print a boon or like you know the opposite of a curse. Um, oh, that's really cool play space. I like that because you feel like you can curse people and then boon people, and you know, kind of you really just want this for your for your uh, your Garth deck, don't you? Because it's gonna be in like your D and D inspired, giving people permanence. You can just like, hey, I don't like your deck. Have a curse. Oh, you're doing something really cool. I like that. Have a boon. You know, like whenever you draw a card, draw an extra card or something. I definitely would not mind that. I certainly would not mind. But um, <laughs> my other idea was that since it specifies new enchantment subtype, uh, I was thinking possibly depending on 
how this is interpreted, it could be arcane. Arcane is already a subtype in magic, uh, but it's only found on instants and sorceries, not enchantments. And arcane things are pretty common, pretty popular in D&D, uh, at least as far as I know. So that would be an interesting thing as well. Yeah, I mean, I have nothing else to really say about boons. So we can move on to the next one if you want, Paul. Yeah. So a card granting minus 11, minus 11. Euro Tragic Slip Part 3. Do you want to, uh, like, you know, expand that thought for me? I don't really know how to. Like, we had Tragic Slip in Innistrad. We had the new Tragic Slip that was just printed in Modern Horizons 2. And now we have this card, which, granted, it's not exactly Tragic Slip because Tragic Slip is minus 13, minus 13 to fit in with the whole, you know, 13 is an unlucky or unholy number thing. 11 um, could be that new number. We don't know that. Well, I, I am not too familiar... And I've said this before, but I'm not too familiar with D&D, like Fortos or, you know, uh, I'm not even that familiar with the spells. So somebody out there that is far more knowledgeable than myself can probably know what this is just by looking at it. Like minus 11, minus 11 seems like a very specific thing, especially given the context that we have, which is, you know, the, the world of D&D. So I'm sure somebody out there knows exactly what this is. Me and James took a lot of time to research these things and come up with these theories. But this one, I just could not... I didn't even know where to start to to research this one. I mean, we did a decent amount of research for these. Like, this next one... This next one, I think I went really hard into, like, theory crafting and everything. And then to have it spoiled right before we went to record, it was kind of gut-wrenching. Because <laughs> I wanted to be right so bad. Because I thought it was going to be so cool. Uh, but this next one is a creature with a death trigger that makes an equipment token. And my mind yeah, went to slimes. Yeah. The the actual card is called Icing Death Frost Tyrant, which was spoiled literally an hour ago. Yeah. As as we record. Not happy. Anyway, <laughs> not even gonna talk about that. I'm gonna talk about my theory crafted version of of what this meant. And that was essentially slimes like want to, you know, like they they in golf people they eat people and then they like digest all of the the living tissue and the bone and what's left is the helmets and the swords and the bucklers and everything that was kind of on the person before they died so i was thinking that maybe like if there are you know if like when the slime dies it then leaves behind the equipment so that way you can have like a slime covered axe or a slime covered uh, sword and the way slime covered weapons work in D&D is that they leave a slime token on you and then if you fail your uh, if you fail your save I think it's a, it's a strength check I believe it is you get knocked prone um, or if you just wait 10 minutes like the, the tokens go like the, the counters go away and we had this idea of like, what if when this thing attacks, if it deals damage to a creature, you know, they get a counter on it. And if they have to like, then like, you know, roll a die or something to kind of like simulate that, that con save or that strength check. And if they fail it, they get tapped down. Like, I think that'd be really cool. That would have been really cool design. I don't know how it would have been balanced for maybe standard play and like competitive magic play, but as like a, a lore and flavor kind of um, aspect, it would have been absolutely on point. Yeah, and uh, it was it was cool to see James get so excited. Uh, like once we came up with that the text of the card, 
Um, the one thing that I didn't put here that it probably would do is that the creature would stay tapped until its next turn. It would have to make yeah. another check, and it would stay tapped as long as it failed checks. That would be cool. But um, as it is, we have a big old frosty dragon. <laughs> yeah, well, because it says, like, it's... Uh... You know, if you get certain amount of counters on it, they they just, you know, kind of fall off. So I was like, oh, if that's a thing, then like if you get like three counters on it, then your creature just then untaps because it can untap. Whatever that means. <laughs> I mean it 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 works in my head. <laughs> uh but yeah, like like Paul said, we get a big old frost giant dragon thing instead. Which is funny because Icing Death is a a spell, I believe, in D D. And something to do with... The, it's also the name of Drizzt Duerden's uh, main hand sword as well. Which is funny because we also have uh, Drizzt Duerden in this set. So I don't know where they... I, I think they're... Yeah, that's they're, baffling to me. <laughs> yeah, I still think they're trying to... T- I, still, still, like, I think they're, like, they're not really doing like a one-to-one ratio on the lore in, in Magic to D&D. Or sorry, D&D to Magic. I still think they're trying to like spin it a little bit. And that's what they've done with this new Frost Tyrant. So... Because the card's been spoiled, I'm not going to talk about it anymore. We're going to move on to something now that hasn't been spoiled that I'm still really excited to talk about because this one was also another one of those, like, it clicked. There's, like, the moment I was there, when I was researching it, I went down this weird rabbit hole about, like, what this uh, next one could be. And it's a legendary creature that makes a legendary hamster creature token. And there is only one, I guess, one character in all of D&D that does this, and that's Minsk. So... He was a kind-hearted but rather adult. He's a Rashmir warrior who was known for his habits of talking to a hamster. He believed that the animal called Boo was a miniature giant space hamster, but no one else ever saw evidence of the hamster. And these yeah. space hamsters are actual, like, law creatures in D&D. And um, just to put it out there... Uh for credit purposes, uh, whenever we're reading like specific texts like we just did, it comes from the D&D wiki. Yes, that is our source material for this episode. Um, but yeah, like I, there's there's only one named space hamster, which is Boo. Um, and the person who they're companion with is Minsk. So it just seems like obvious that this, this it feels like this has to be this legendary creature. Right? Yeah, it, they're, they're, I can't think of anything else, any other way to possibly fit a hamster, <laughs> like lore wise, into this set. Well, yeah, because it makes a legendary hamster creature token. So it's kind of like in that same design space as uh, Raghavan. You know, uh, he came out as a creature token on, I can't remember the pirate's name, but it was mono red. Captain Lannery Pirate Karizev? Yeah, that's it. So whenever, whenever she attacked, you would get a, what is it, a 2-1 Ragavan yeah, token. And then they made it into an actual creature itself. So maybe this kind of like, you know, is in the same design space as that. And maybe we'll get a boo, to- like a boo creature by itself that we can make decks around instead of having to make it around Minsk, who then gets a boo token. Who knows? This would honestly be, this would be awesome because I didn't know about this pair prior to us doing research on this. And after reading a bit about them, it is one of the most lovable characters I've ever <laughs> learned about. <laughs> I also think that maybe, like, color-wise, uh, I want to say Selesnia. I want to say green-white for these for these people, like, for this, for this pair. Definitely feels like there's green in there somewhere, as far yeah. as it being, well, I guess it could be Naya, right? 
could be Naya. Um, I mean, he is, uh, Minsk is, is a warrior and he is, you know, he's still pretty kind hearted. So that's where the kind of like the whitish and the blue would come into it. So maybe Naya is a good spot for where this, where this legendary creature might end up if we're right at all. As long as I can make hamsters in my gear deck, I'm okay. Oh, dude, I didn't even think about that. I'm not even going to do Rhino. Rhino Tribal's gone. It's Hamster Tribal from now on. It is legendary, but I'll just throw a Helm of the Host on it and populate the non-legendary <laughs> one. And I'll have infinite hamsters. If it's one time you ever go infinite, please make it infinite hamsters. <laughs> oh my god, I need. I didn't realize how much I needed this in my life until you said it. <laughs> so the next one we have on the list here is something only seen previously in Unsets. Uh, comes to black border so this is what is it unhinged unglued unsanctioned and unstable there's one, unstable there's always one that i miss uh there are quite a few things that have been done in unsets um that have been pretty popular um but there's only one maybe there's more than one but the there's one big one that is recurring in unsets and, and that's that asking is... a random person if you want to make a squirrel or not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll probably, never get, yes. uh, we'll probably never get high-fiving other opponents in other games as part of resolving an effect. That's probably never coming to Black Border. But um, one big one that has been a, uh, a repetitive, uh, a recurring thing in Unsets is dice rolling. Um, a lot of people, and James included actually, don't actually realize that dice rolling is not an official thing in Magic the Gathering. We use dice to represent like counters, uh, even with, with like Mana Crypt, we roll dice instead of flipping coins. But um, yeah, there's no dice rolling in Black Border Magic, officially. Uh, however, again, literally earlier today, they spoiled a card called Treasure Chest, which actually confirms that dice rolling will be coming to Black Border Magic. Uh, so that is pretty cool. The card itself is pretty good. I'd recommend go, going to check it out if you uh, get a chance. But since that's already been confirmed, there's really not much to talk about here. Uh, for the record, though, we did get this one right. James can attest to this. We did we did say dice rolling before we yep. even saw that card. 100%. We got it right. That's one for us. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know I don't know what the tally is with, the, with these episodes, but that's so far one for us from the D&D set. And Treasure Chest BT Dubs is a really good card, and I want it for Doretti. <laughs> I mean, I think I want it just for flavor reasons, because uh, I get to roll a dice, but also the fact that, you know, I can just recur artifacts in that deck. Um, so, like Paul said, not much to really talk about uh, that card now. Now, uh, we will go back and do a full set review on this set, closer to it being released. Uh, we'll go through and, like, break down everything that we usually do here on the show, but we're going to move on to the next statement, and that is an artifact that's a musical instrument that creates harmony counters. So as soon as I saw this one, I, I said to Paul, I'm like, it's got to be some sort of like a lyre or a lute or some sort of, you know, bard weapon. Maybe it's even connected to a bard. Maybe it's like a bard tribal, um, like enchant, uh, sorry, artifact, because we've had, what is it? Shaman tribal artifacts with Thornbite stuff. Yeah. Um, the only thing is though, is that tribal at least as far as we know at this moment, is not a thing in this set. That's pretty much exclusively a Lorwyn thing. Um, if that does come around, maybe we'll see, like, you know, like you said, a bard equipment. Um, or maybe it'll say, like, maybe it'll be, like, cheaper to equip to a bard, you know, like they did with uh, Helm of the Host. It's cheaper to... Oh, no, not Helm of the Host. Uh, I was like, um, you can make Helm of the Host cheaper to equip. How do I do that, and how do I do that for Mono Red Goto? 
Black Black Flavor <laughs> Forged. Sorry, yeah. that's what I was thinking of. It's like cheaper to equip to a legendary creature. Yeah. Um, and then maybe they'll do something like that where it's like maybe it's free to equip to a bard, but it costs like three or four to equip to a regular creature. I mean, that'd be really cool. There's a there's a lot of design space for this one, like a surprising amount, because equipment, you know, typically they're colorless, um, which means that they don't really have to be associated with anything in particular. Uh, I feel like it definitely has to be a liar or a loot, though. Yeah. I don't Something know that's what easily other instruments like... are in D&D. <laughs> I mean, it's pretty much the same as what we have in real life. I mean, D&D is just, in, you know, it's like a second life kind of thing. So whatever you can really do in real life, you can do in D&D, but more embellished, I guess. But I mean, like, yeah, but why is uh... loots are more atoned with, like, that kind of time period, I guess, that D&D is trying to be set in? It makes harmony counters, though. Yeah. So it makes me feel like it's singing multiple parts of like a song or a ballad, which is something that bars are known for. Maybe it's singing sword. A sword that dances next to you. No. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean like a harmony counter could like harmony oh they're harmony counters. I thought they were harmony tokens. No, counters. They're counters. So that changes my whole thought aspect of what this could be completely. Maybe a harmony counter is gonna be like keyworded to give special effects to certain creatures, maybe. Maybe it like it it because I mean like if you think about it, bards really use musical instruments to inspire and buff other players as well as you know beat face with a guitar, <laughs> which is really cool. Well, bards use like different bard songs give different buffs to the party, right? Yeah. Am I correct? And think that's how. That, yeah. Okay. No, that's correct. So what if this equipment, whatever it is, said like pay a certain amount of mana and maybe tap it. And it might actually not even be an equipment now that I'm reading it, but whatever the case may be, um, maybe it says like pay three, tap it, put a harmony counter on it, and then your creatures get a buff based on how many harmony counters are on it. Like for if it has one yeah. counter, they get like plus one plus zero. If they've got two counters, they get like plus one plus one. If it's got three counters, they get like first strike. And you know, as you keep singing the song, you get more and more buffs. I like that. I think that, yeah, I mean, yeah, that that actually makes a lot of sense. <laughs> Maybe that's what it is. Maybe it's not an equipment. Hmm. These things, they, these, they're so thought-provoking and so theory-crafting that that's why I love the way that they're written because they really make you think about the design space of, one, how we've done, like, what we've done in Magic previously and what would be really fun to have going forward. And that's, yeah, I kind of like that, like, it's kind of like a level-up system, uh, but on an artifact. Right, and fl- and flavor wise, it makes total sense. Oh yeah, the flavor in these are fantastic. Like it's just it's chef's kiss. This is the <laughs> underworld cookbook of uh, teaser statements. <laughs> um, so the next one we have is a card that can keep your opponent from winning the game. And I just wrote platinum angel like effect, like on the script. I was like, yeah, like platinum angel does a thing. Maybe it's something similar to that. And then Paul went through and wrote something else, Paul. So, I don't know if this is actually a thing in d and I'm pretty sure it is. Uh, but in Magic, we have a precedent for effects like this. Um, and it's usually tied to something having to do with, like, a Lich or the Lich, whatever the case may be. Um, and it has to do with, like, some extreme drawback, but it gives you, a, like, a lot of power. And, James, are Liches a thing in d and Yeah. So, maybe we'll get another type of, type of Lich card that... Uh, is relatively different from its predecessors. I don't know. It's hard to say. 
Um, thinking about these things through the context of D&D instead of just magic is a really interesting challenge. I mean, you are not wrong. And I love it how you ask me if liches are, are like in D&D when the, literally the next one we're, talk, we're about to talk about is a lich. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yes, Paul, liches are in D&D. Um, what can I say? And from here, we're going to move on to the, the next one we have, and that is a card that creates a legendary creature token named Vecna. This one, I'd say this is the one we did the most research into, and only because the character itself, Vecna, is so cool and the story is really interesting that it actually made James say, I want to play D&D again. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like, I, I I, texted my mate and was like, I'm getting the itch to play D&D. And, I mean, that also comes from last night. I was uh, just, you know doing some work behind the laptop here in the studio and i had a stream open that was uh my mate and he was painting dnd min miniatures and then he raided a guy who was playing a dnd uh srd game so it uses the dnd rules in what was essentially like a top-down uh, uh action rpg styled video game um i can't remember what it was called if i could remember what it was called i'd, I'd be saying that but that was really cool too. And then we then went from that to then talking about D and D, and it was like, oh man, I really just want to you know pull out my uh, my barbarian skills and just go and you know ransack a town or two. <laughs> so, so what we came across was actually uh, well, we came across a whole story for this character named Vecna. And like James said, Vecna is like uh, some kind of lich or uh, something. I mean, I mean, I'll just to that at least. <laughs> I wrote it in the script. I'm gonna read it. This came directly from the uh, the D&D wiki, uh, but it really kind of cements the idea that we had for the card. So it says, so the, the quote is, uh, during his reign, Vecna trusted his lieutenant Cass with, mo with most uh, administrative tasks. He forged the powerful sword of Cass as an instrument of his lieutenant's authority. However, Vecna's evil manifested in the sword seduced Cass into usurping and killing his master. Cass then battled Vecna, who banished him to the realm of Cavetius, but not in time to avoid his own destruction. The only traces left of Vecna's physical body were his left hand and his eye, which still carried a fragment of the Lich's will. Their latent power turned them into artifacts known as the Hand of Vecna and the Eye of Vecna. So we thought there may be an artifact in the game called Vecna's Remains that lets you either pay mana or pay mana and tap it or do some sort of, you know, some sort of activated ability on the artifact that lets you create a, maybe a 4-4 or a 5-5 five five, uh, Vecna, a legendary creature token named Vecna. Right. And, you know, it's, it's up to anybody's, you know, interpretation what exactly Vecna will do. Um, maybe it, they, maybe it won't be just one card. Maybe we'll actually have two artifacts called the Hand and Eye of Vecna, and maybe you'll have to have both in order to make the token, depending on how good this token is, right? Or maybe they'll like they'll fetch each other, and then they have a separate ability that you can activate once they're both on the field. Yeah, kind of like partner. Uh, partner's a good one. Um, it'll probably be like maybe a slightly better version of like the Empire's equipment or artifact cycle. Which is like, uh, if you have, there's a crown, a scepter, and a throne. And if you have each one on the field, they get like super powered versions of their abilities. It's It was a weird cycle, but maybe we'll see something similar to that here with the hand and the eye. 
Hard to say, but it seems pretty likely that this is at least like on the right track. Um, it wouldn't really make sense for Cass to make the Vecna token because Cass is the one that killed Vecna and it was his lieutenant. So it would make more sense for the for Vecna to make Cass. I don't know. It's a uh, it's 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 kind of up in the air at this point. Obviously, with all of these things, it is, but. Um, I honestly really hope that this card is awesome because I want this card to see play. Yeah, I do as well. And I think it's just for flavor reasons. Like I really, uh, I really want to dive headfirst into, into this set, just ripping apart all of the law, like the law things and the mechanics and just playing magic. And I am, I think my, my, like the biggest change that I love that they've done is get rid of those Planeswalker decks and put in commander decks instead. Because if we got Planeswalker decks around, the, around this set, I wouldn't have been as happy. But the fact that we're getting brand new, we're getting four, sorry, brand new D&D inspired commander decks that are all, that are built to be played in a pod of you adventuring is super cool. And Paul, this is one of those decks that we need to get all four of them and get some friends together and, and play. For sure. And, uh. I should be able to get some some decent parts for my uh, my Garth dungeon diving deck. <laughs> yes, and when you get that deck together as well, I want to play even more. <laughs> <laughs> so, with all that said, we're going to go to our combat phase now. We just got to summon a uh, legendary creature to token named Vecna, and we're going to attack with it. And we're going to wonder how you're going to block, or if you need to take it to the dome. So we're going to hear a message from our sponsors right now. Welcome back from that ad break. How did you block? Did you take it? Let us know. Uh, so we're going to move through to our main phase two here. So next up, we have uh, some rules text that will be showing up on cards. And we have, I think it's like maybe 10 of these at a quick glance. Uh, so the first one we have, Enchanted Permanent is, sorry, Enchanted Permanent is a treasure artifact. Um, this one to me sounds like it's going to be another, like a, a silence. I hate using Hearthstone terms in magic, but magic doesn't really have a term for this, uh, silence, meaning that it loses all its abilities and such. Um, so kind of like imprisoned in the moon, which would be awesome, uh, depending on what colors this is in. Cause I feel like red could probably use a little, uh, some kind of effect like this. Although the fact that it enchants a permanent and is an enchantment means it's probably not red. But it has to do with treasures, so we'll see. Um, but also the fact that it's mentioning treasure makes me feel like there's going to be some kind of relevance of the treasure subtype in this set. Um, we have seen precedent for this even as recent as Mountain Horizons 2 with like Lonus. Uh, well, no, she cares about the clues. Uh, but we have seen things that sack specifically treasures or care about treasures being on the battlefield. So I don't know. Maybe we'll see uh, a new treasure theme develop here. Uh, since treasure is pretty popular in Dungeons & Dragons. Yeah, I thought, honestly, this effect was, like, an imprisoned effect. Like, I thought that's what, because I thought we, we would have gotten the name from Imprisoned in the Moon. Because, like, it's like Camrith's transformation as well does the same thing. It turns it in, it turns Enchanted Permanent into an elk. It loses all abilities and turns it into a 3-3. So, well, I don't know. I mean, I wish we would get a, a name for this kind of effect. Because, I mean, Silence just makes a lot of sense, but we already have a card named Silence. So maybe not Silence. Yeah, maybe, I don't know, Polymorph. Um, but Polymorph's, know, also, Polymorph's also a card, too, that you know, goes and gets you a creature out of, the, out of your uh, your library if you sack a creature, right? Uh, 
is that card called Polymorph? Yeah, I believe so. It might so. be. I can't remember. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, it's right. like it a crazy is. looking rabbit. It's a yeah, yeah. It's a is a, a was it a Drizix? Is that what it's called? I think so. Yeah. All right. The next one we have is Ward discard a card. Uh, we actually just saw this in uh, what was it? Um, Strixhaven. I'm pretty mm-hmm. sure. One of the one of the one of the the black creatures had uh, Ward discard a card. So we've seen this before, but like I mentioned previously on on the last section. Uh, main phase one, we have to think about these things in the terms of not just magic, but D&D. So like in magic, ward, discard a card, whatever. It's just some form of protection. But in the context of D&D, it could mean anything. It could mean like a trap. Um, or maybe it means that like you're attacking an illusion or it's like something that makes copies of itself. So you have to like waste resources in order to actually kill it. Um, it's really interesting to think about, honestly. Uh the, the trap thing makes sense. The illusion thing maybe makes less sense. I don't know. Like I said, I'm I'm no D and D expert, but either one is like pretty cool design space, and I'm really curious to see uh, how accurate this is based on whatever this card happens to be. So I just had a thought there, Paul uh, Ward. That is, uh, you have to pay that cost when that creature is targeted with an activated ability or spell. Yes. Okay. Because I'm wondering, like. In magic, you know, having a hand, having more, having less cards in hand, you're at a disadvantage to your opponent, right? What happens, yes. like, what if, like, this ward ability uh, is tied to, like, you know, casting or a spell or whatever, that's like a, a, a mage slash wizard slash warlock kind of thing, and they're having a disadvantage on the attack? Because the disadvantage that's is actually, uh... <laughs> you roll two dice and you take the lower number, Whereas in magic, magic's equivalency with that would be having one less card in your hand to having less options. That's actually a, a really interesting idea. And it honestly kind of makes me wish that this was board roll a D6. If you roll lower than three, the, the it fails. That, that, that would have been kind of cute. Probably a little on the OP side because it means that your spell only hits 50% of the time. But uh, that is a, an actually uh, probably the correct interpretation. <laughs> I mean, that's all That's all this really is, is just interpretation. So let's move on to the next one here. It's exchange your hand and library. So these, like this, this part of, of uh, Mark, Mark Rosewater's teasers is a lot more cryptic and a little more difficult to interpret than previously, because this is actual card text as opposed to like, you know, actual names of cards or things that the cards do. So looking from a D&D perspective, again, exchanging your hand in your library, well, theoretically, your hand represents opportunity, right? Like, you have these cards in front of you. And your library, since it is literally a library of spells, uh, usually represents knowledge. And we've seen this in cards before, like Body of Knowledge. Uh, um, there's another, encha- like, a blue enchantment that has to do with knowledge as well, that has to do with, like, drawing cards or whatever. Um, but basically, maybe in like a D and D perspective, this means that you're like exchanging opportunity for knowledge, and maybe this card will reflect that. Maybe I'm severely overthinking this, and it's just some busted card that lets you draw eighty cards. Who knows? <laughs> no, because interpreting this in D and D, when you're a spellcaster. You have to set the spells that you know for the day. Like you have all this advantage, like you have all this vast knowledge of all these spells, but 
I believe the way that it works, because I've, I, again, I have never really played a, uh, a spellcaster. And if I have, it's only been a dabble. And it was with people who didn't quite know exactly how the rules worked with it. So we were just like, any spell you know, you know. Um, but I believe it's like you, you fill your, like your spell slots for the day kind of thing. And then every other spell that you know, you can't cast because you didn't, you didn't prepare it. So like that opportunities versing knowledge would be kind of throwing out all the spells that you already had physically, like you already had mentally prepared and picking up the rest of the backlog of spells that you had in the back of your brain to the front. So you had like an advantage on that opportunity uh, to be able to cast a spell that you didn't prepare because you didn't see us going into, you know, a bugbear den and you needing a fireball to wipe everybody out kind of thing. So what you're saying is that I'm not actually that far off base. I don't think you're that far <laughs> off basis, honestly. Um, I think you deep dived into it in like a different way, not really having like that kind of maybe that that little hint of sprinkling of D&D knowledge that I have compared to it. But what you said made complete sense to what I interpreted it, interpreted it as. You heard it here first, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Paul, despite having very little knowledge of D&D, can... Uh somehow BS his way into something that sounds legit. <laughs> You're one of those people that I loathed in high school who could just BS their way through an essay and get like an A or like even a B. And I would like try so hard to connect all these dots and, you know, whatever and get like a C or a D. Damn it. That's, that's my life. Um, so the next one we have here is skeletons, vampires, and zombies. And you wrote, duh. <laughs> I mean, like, it's obvious there's going to be skeletons and zombies. Vampires, maybe a little less so, but, like, they had to happen, right? You're going in dungeons, man. There's always skeletons and zombies. I mean, yeah, I understand that. I would just, I wanted to, like, you know, kind of maybe expand on that point a little bit. So I wrote, I went through and I was like, what if it's, like, a smite spell? Like, smite the monstrous, but for these specific card types. Or maybe it's, like you know, destroy target creature or maybe deal one damage to target creature if it's a skeleton, vampire, or zomb- end zombies. Oh, it says end zombies. It deals, you know, three extra damage. So you're doing four damage to it. And it was just... Because paladins have smite and it's like irradi- it's like radiant holy damage. Um, so maybe it was like... I was like, oh, maybe it's a single target spell. Or maybe it's a board wipe that only board wipes skeletons, zombies, and vampires. But then that's really broken against those tribes in magic uh, for commander. Cause we got to think that not only is this opening up stuff for standard, this also opens up more alleys for commander players to get their hands on these sweet cards and deal more damage to, you know, uh, Edgar Markov players and maybe the Scarab God players. Yeah. Maybe. Hmm. I don't know. This, this one, with those tribes, it makes it seem like maybe like it'll be a, like you said a smite spell, and maybe it'll like if it's a skeleton, a vampire, a zombie, it'll exile it instead, um, or maybe like otherwise it'll just destroy it because you know skeletons and zombies and vampires are known for well at least in magic they're known for their ability to like come back from the graveyard and not actually die. Um, on the other hand, maybe based on the way this is worded. It'll be like a, I don't know, a white spell that like deals two damage and skeletons, vampires, and zombies take four damage instead. Something to that effect. Um, it's kind of hard to say, again, since I don't really have a lot of knowledge of these smite spells, so to speak. Ah. But the way James was explaining it, it made a lot of sense to me. 
I mean, I believe the spell's called Divine Smite or Div- Smite Divinity or something. Uh, again, I didn't really play a paladin. I've just partied with paladins. Um, so the next one I'm gonna, we're going to move on to here is spend this mana only to cast dragon spells or activate abilities of dragons. This this to me shouts Tiamat card, right? This is this has to be like a, a, a like one of Tiamat's followers or one of its spawn, one of its kin. I don't know, something like that. But we've we've seen cards like this before, and they were literally like followers of dragons. Um, I don't remember the exact names of these cards off the top of my head, but they always had to do with being like the the servant of dragons or uh, you know one of their pawns, so to speak. Yeah, so, well, there's like there's like draconic disciple, who I guess is a draconic disciple who taps for green or red and has an activated ability to become a seven seven dragon. Right, and because we already have Tiamat in the set, it seems like pretty obvious to me that this has to do with Tiamat. How could it not have something to do with one of the most legendary dragons of all time? Yeah, exactly. Like he's a cool, cool dragon. <laughs> um, following that. We've got, for each different mana value among non-land cards in your graveyard. I had trouble coming up with something for this one, mainly because that that line of text we've seen so many times on so many different cards, and there's a lot of different ways to print a card with that text, at least that we've seen. Uh, But one of the most unique cards, I would say, to ever use that text is a card called Seasons Past, which I believe is an M15, if I'm not mistaken. Um, or Core Set 15, sorry. and uh, Or actually, it may have been Magic Origins. Can't remember. It's in one of those sets. Um, and we haven't seen a card like Seasons Past, one that recurs cards from the graveyard based on their CMC, uh, in quite a while. Seasons Past specifically, it lets you get back a card of a, a permanent of each uh, mana value from your graveyard, as long as they're all different. Uh, so you can get like a 1, a 2, you get a 0, a 1, a 2, a 3, a 4, a 5, a 6, a 7. Uh, however many you have in there that are different mana values. And we haven't seen something like that in actually quite some time, actually, I think since seasons past. So I feel like we may be getting another card very much like seasons past. Uh, This would be a great place to do it because seasons past wasn't... Seasons past didn't really see standard play, and I'd have to imagine that another card like seasons past, depending on its, uh, you know, casting conditions and whatnot, also would not see play, and we'd get a cool, fun little number for Commander, or at least another uh, cool, fun little number for Commander. I mean, Seasons Pass is only a six CMC spell. Only six. Well, it's only it's in Commander. <laughs> that's like turn two. Yeah, I know that, that <laughs> but that's why it didn't see uh, yeah. standard play is because it was yeah. so expensive. Now, I'm gonna straighten this out, Paul, before you get blasted in the comments or in the uh, from the Twitter. Seasons Past was in Shadows over Innistrad. Yeah, that's what I said. Okay. I thought you said Magic Origins. Yeah, you did. did. You, yeah, you said Magic Origins <laughs> and M15 or something. And I was like, this is, this is Shadows over Innistrad, dude. <laughs> um, so I was just, you know, before you get, you know, blown up in the comments going, oh, he's done it again. Uh, I thought I would just make that distinct yeah, clear. I can't wait for people on YouTube to pause the video as soon as I say that and immediately comment. Uh, actually, it's it's from Channels of Industry. Oh, don't be like that. <laughs> All right, let's move on. Uh, so the next one is, then if you have fewer than three cards in hand, draw cards equal to the difference. 
we've seen this text on a few cards. We've seen it on, I think most recently is Sandstone Oracle, because I think that got printed in Commander Legends as an uncommon. Mm-hmm. Um, that was a rare, wasn't it? Originally, it was an uncommon, I still, I think. It was okay. printed in, a, in uh, one of the Commander sets. Uh, we've seen it on Kozilek, The Great Distortion. He has a very similar uh, line of text. And we also have seen it on Damia, Sage of Stone, which is probably the oldest possible uh, uh, ability of, of this particular wording that we have reference for. Um, and she's a Gorgon. So of the three cards I just mentioned, which I can't even remember what the first one was, Sansone Oracle is a Sphinx. Uh, we have... Kozilek is an Eldrazi, and we have Dami as a Gorgon. I think we're probably most likely to see Gorgons. So I feel like maybe we're seeing the first time that this is going to be coined to be a Gorgon effect, which would be really cool because Gorgon is a really cool creature type. They look really sweet. Um, and I'm almost positive there's Gorgons in D&D lore. James yeah. would correct me right now if there yeah. wasn't. Okay, cur- perfect. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, so that would actually be super cool if we could get some Gorgon support uh, in this set. I mean, having that effect on a Gorgon and then having Gorgon... Because, I mean, Gorgons just aren't on this plane, I guess. Like, I don't know if like this is a whole different plane or if this is just, like, a, a side shift to, like, how we're going to get there story-wise. Uh, I have no idea, like, how they're going to, like, make this work. Or if this is just, like, one of those, you know, in a different parts of the universe, here is this, because we haven't really seen any, like, main characters. Like, we haven't seen Liliana or... Uh, Jace or any of those kind of characters on this one yet, on this plane yet. We've really only seen like brand new one, brand new planeswalkers. So who knows how we'll get there story wise. But yeah, there's not only Gorgons in D&D and in this set, but we have, like Paul said, we've got Gorgons before. So maybe having this effect going forward as a Gorgon ability would be really cool. And then we can have more Gorgon tribal and then I can finally have a Gorgon tribal deck. <laughs> That's all I want. <laughs> That was a really long-winded way of saying I want Gorgon Tribal, dang it. All right, so we only have three of these left. Uh, the first one of those three is whenever you cast a creature spell that doesn't share a creature type with a creature you control or a creature card in your graveyard. Yeah, uh, on the script, I I have honestly not sure. Uh, and I'm going to say the same thing here. I'm honestly not sure with this one. Uh, it is extremely open-ended. Uh, there isn't really a way, at least to my knowledge, to predict what this could possibly be referencing. Again, I'm sure there is a D&D buff out there that could probably put the pedal to the metal and figure out what this one is, uh, uh, what this one is trying to reference, or like if there's a spell or something that has to do with like I don't know if you're fighting zombies, do something to non-zombies, blah blah blah. I don't know. It's it's hard to say. Yeah, um, this one is pretty. It's pretty open ended. Like. It's very, it, like, again, yes, it's rules text, but it's not really, like, rules text that's going to point us in a certain direction. Yeah, um, that one I'm going to have to leave for now. Um, again, I would love to tell you my thoughts on it, but I I can't, I don't even know where to start. All right. Well, the next one is, you may cast this creature's name from your graveyard if a creature not named this creature's name died this turn this is another confusing one but this one has a little more direction than the previous one um and my my prediction for this is actually based on a campaign that well my very first campaign that i ever did back in new york uh where we were there was some kind of cult 
And I was thinking, like, maybe this represents something like that. Maybe it's some kind of cult where, like, if one of your members died this turn, uh, I don't know. Let's say, uh, let's 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 call this card Australian cult. Right? Whoa! And <laughs> <laughs> let's say if you uh, if one of your Australian cults didn't die that turn, then the you know the the ones that have died in the graveyard they get to uh they get to keep the riot going or you know they they get to keep the the uh the the uh the ideas of the cult alive let's just say the party going like why is it going to be a cult <laughs> why is it going to be a riot what, what kind of like anarchist people do you think australians are bro <laughs> ah, it was just uh, something that came up with off the top of my head <laughs> i mean that's fair i mean if you're only like exposure to australia is the mad max series then i guess everything you just said was correct i've never seen mad max don't even know what that is oh okay then anyway (laughs) that's a whole different topic for a discussion not on a podcast uh so the last one we have to talk about paul is when its power becomes 20 this way 20 is a really large number i mean it's no bigger than 40 really Really large number. So large, in fact, that it seems almost legendary. And for that reason, uh, this makes me feel like there's going to be some kind of legendary creature that has that pack tactics mechanic that we mentioned before, because pack tactics cares about power. And like maybe this legendary creature will be like pack tactics. Whenever you attack creatures that have power six or greater, um, this this creature gains their power or whatever. Something to that effect. Um but it it definitely does seem like a legendary line of text to me when its power becomes 20. That is a very large number. That's like Mosh Bridge Troll large. Yeah, and I mean, like, 20 is pretty big if you think standard-wise. Um, but, I mean, us commander players, 20 is not all that big. I mean, I've I've had 1990s on the board before, Paul. I didn't get to do anything with them, but I had them on the board. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, I understand like with the like with the mindset of this being a standard set, 20 is pretty big. That's able to one-shot your opponent. That's able to two-shot somebody in commander. So yeah, I think the only mechanic that we can really think of with this one would be the pack tactics uh mechanic. So I think you're a little I think if you're not right, you're definitely on like the right track with this one. Um I I came up blank on this one, honestly. I was like, yeah, it has to be something to do with attacking, right? I can't imagine that it's not. Yeah. The fact that it says this way makes me feel like it's not tied to a spell. It's tied to a permanent. So, I don't know. It's hard to say. Because if it was a spell, I feel like it would it would just say, if that creature's power is 20. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I, I know exactly what, what you're saying there. Cool. That So, that's all of our statements and all of our rules statements and everything. So, if we got them wrong or if we got them right, uh, you can get at us with the however you want to tell us uh you can do that at twitter and instagram at cmdr at arms uh we have the youtube channel where you're either watching this or you're listening to this on spotify or anywhere else you get better podcasts go over to youtube check it out subscribe hit the bell like our videos do everything that you're supposed to do for a youtube video help the help the analytics help the uh, the algorithm and help us get spread out on there um if you want any sealed products single products or I guess anything that you can get online while still supporting LGSs, you can do that at TCG Player using our affiliate link, tcgplayer.com slash commander at arms. We have our merch shirt that is still available. The link is in the either the show notes below or the video's description below. It'll be below this video slash, you know, 
the link will be down the, the link will be down there. Go click it. Check out the shirt. It's on Etsy. It's great. Uh, if you want to become a patron, you can do that at patreon.com forward slash commander at arms. All tiered patrons uh, get a shout out at the start of each episode. We also have access to our Discord channel where we hang out and play magic and kind of theorycraft things and talk about spoilers and everything magic related. Um, and then Paul has his little special thank you. Uh, as always, if this is the first and only episode you ever have or ever will listen to, uh, me and James thoroughly appreciate you taking the time to do so. Um, you know, that's your time. You choose to spend it how you want. And the fact that you chose to spend it listening to us is very flattering and humbling. And we appreciate it. Um, if you did like what you heard, please feel free to share us around with your friends and your playgroups. Uh, just, you know, get our name out there. Make sure you tell them, hey... They got this really cool YouTube channel and this podcast that they do. Go check them out. Get your friends involved and make sure you tell them to do the same thing. Uh, really helps us out. Uh, and But, you know, at a bare minimum, just listening also helps out a lot. So thank you all for doing that. And with that, I'm James. And I'm Paul. And you've been listening to the newest episode of the Commander at Arms podcast. Peace. See ya.